Hey, I'm Jason Gray. Hey, this is Sarah Gross. Hey, I'm Andrew Osinga. Hi, this is Michael Carr. Hey, this is Andrew Peterson, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. And this is me, so let's have some exciting music. Who is me, you ask? Well, me is Rick Lee James, and this is my podcast, Voices in My Head. We've got a great show for you this week, so stay tuned. Welcome back to the Voices in My Head podcast. As always, I am your host, Rick Lee James, and this is episode number 148, titled The Dirty Parts of the Bible, with Sam Turod as our guest. Now, uh, before you hang this up and go, I don't want to hear this, this sounds dirty, it's actually not a dirty podcast today. Uh, Sam Turod, who is uh, a great author, he wrote the book, The Dirty Parts of the Bible, which is actually not a dirty book at all. Uh, it's a it's a story about um, some different characters that go through some different journeys in life, and it's set against the backdrop of a character who's grown up in a very fundamentalist Baptist home in the midst of the Great Depression. Um, so let me say at the outset of this, although this is not going to be like a dirty conversation, um, we do actually uh, hit on a few little bit more adult themes today than we do sometimes just because we're talking about the human journey. So if there are children listening, uh, this might not be the best one for younger children, um, although it's probably appropriate conversation for teenagers because that's actually a lot of what we're talking about is what we deal with oftentimes uh, in our Christian faith when we're growing up as teens and what we do with our sexuality and things like that. So uh, the book itself, The Dirty Parts of the Bible, is probably not for the faint of heart if uh, if you find yourself offended by bad language and things like that because the characters, um, uh, they're just very true to type. And so whenever you're reading the book, um, it feels very real and very authentic and, and real people in real life talk that way. So um, anyway, just to let you know at the out- outset, it's a great book. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very funny book. I feel like there's a lot that we as Christians can discuss using a book like this. Um, but if you're a little bit faint of heart and there's nothing wrong with that and you don't want to be a part of a conversation um, that may go a little bit more adult than we sometimes do on the Voices in My Head podcast, I just wanted to make that quick preface today um, in our conversation. Uh, trust me, it's nothing that's that's really bad or anything. I just wanted to make sure that the, the content uh, met its proper audience for this week. So uh, without any further hesitation, I'm going to play a little bit of a song by my guest today who is not only a great author and a a book designer, uh, he does artwork as well, but he's also a musician and he has an album coming out of Sinatra covers. Uh, This is a little bit of uh, one of his songs that he actually wrote that's in the style of Sinatra because he's a big fan of that era of music and I think you're going to enjoy it and that will lead us straight into my conversation with author Sam Tarode. Thank you for listening to Voices in My Head and God bless you. There's a girl I see each day Making coffee at the cafe She smiles and hands me my change She doesn't even know my name Well, I'm not a dashing, daring knight Who can capture a lady's heart And she's the quiet, sensitive type Mustache shyness keep us apart We're too, too shy We're too, too shy Being as shy as we do Oh, who can make the first move? We're too, too 
too shy, you and I, we're too, too shy All we say is goodbye, cause we're too, too shy This has been a literary summer on the Voices in My Head podcast. We've had David Morell, the creator of Rambo and writer of over 40 books, including writing for Spider-Man and Captain America comics. We've had Matt Litton on to discuss To Kill a Mockingbird and Go Set a Watchman upon its release last week. And now we have another great writer on the show this week. My guest today on the Voices in My Head podcast is Sam Tarode. Sam is a writer, a visual artist, and a singer living in Nashville, Tennessee. On his father's side of the family, Sam is related to Henry David Thoreau, and on his mother's side are Texas farmers, preachers, outlaws, banjo players, and Cherokee Indians. His novel, Dirty Parts of the Bible, reflects both sides, combining his religious philosophical exploration with an epic journey to Texas to reclaim his defrocked minister father's fortune. It was through the dirty parts of the Bible that I first became aware of Sam, and I'm so happy to have him as my guest today on the Voices in My Head podcast. So, Sam Tarode, welcome to Voices in My Head. Thanks, Rick. It's uh, it's a real honor to be interviewed. You've had some great guests on here. so Well, thank you. Now, I should say as I begin this, and I've already said your name like three times, am I pronouncing <laughs> your last name correctly? Is it Tarode? Is that how you say it? You, you are. You got it. Great. All right. Well, it helped when you made reference in your bio about Henry David Thoreau, and I thought, well, maybe it's just, you know, almost the same pronunciation, just with a D in there, you know, so... Good. Yep. Well, yep, it, it rhymes. It's always nice to know I'm calling people the right name when I have them on the the podcast. So there there have been a <laughs> there have been a couple times where I'm not sure I did uh, call them the right name. So it's good to know I have it here with yep. you today. Yep. And I I don't, I don't know how closely I'm related to Thoreau. I think it would be a very distant connection, but I'll claim it. All right. Well, you might as well. <laughs> that can that can only help as an author, you know. I would think. Yep. Or I don't know. It can hurt. Maybe you're being compared constantly. Yeah, I, no, he's 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 one of my favorites. So. I was gonna say I I don't think anyone ever compares me with another author, at least not any good ones. So you know that's how it works. But. <laughs> well, I I really enjoyed your book, and I, I've told you this off the air, but I I want to let everybody know um, when when you hear the title of Sam's book, which came out in 2007, right? If I'm not mistaken, it was I finished writing it in 2007. It was. It was really published in 2010. Okay, all right. And so through uh, it was self-published, and 2010 was the first year it was available on Amazon. And it, about 2011 is when it started catching on through just word of mouth and being seen on the site. So. That's that's great. And and so listeners, you may maybe heard the title and went, I don't know if I want to read that because it's called the dirty <laughs> parts of the Bible. Uh, but honestly, I you know we'll we'll play a little ga- not really a game, but there's a game I used to play. Um, and by the way, the title is is not actually um it, it's actually the perfect title for the book although the book is not like this salacious you know exploration of dirty parts <laughs> of the bible or anything at all it's actually got a lot of heart it's very humorous and it deals a lot with a lot of the struggles that i think people who've grown up in a fundamentalist background um are, are dealing with as they get older uh, but it reminds me of just the title of that book the dirty parts of the bible um i grew up a pastor's kid and i have a lot of friends who are pastor's kid and we we do things that you know only we can relate to sometimes because <laughs> and they're like our you know our our spouses and will look at each look at us and go what are you talking about but we used to have this game where we'd grab a hymnal and uh, you'd you'd read the title of the hymn and you'd put 
like either in the bathroom or in the bedroom after the title. <laughs> so it would be like, you know, it would come off sounding really bad, like, you know, like uh, he touched me in the bathroom, you know, or whatever, you know, something like that, or, um, you know, the windows of heaven are open in the bedroom, or, you know, something like that. So it's it's sort of that um, almost, uh, you know, it's something an adolescent would do when they look at a hymnal, yeah. but it's sort of how you're approaching this book and your main character, Tobias, and uh, I just really enjoyed it. So so let's that, talk. That, that sounds like the sort of game that my older brother and I would do to, to make it through a 45-minute sermon. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a long sermon, really, especially uh, for for people now who, you know, we, we can't hardly stand a five-minute commercial break. Yeah, so, yeah, and that, and I'll say the book is, is certainly not autobiographical. It's a yeah. fictional book, but a lot was definitely influenced by actual things in my life. Well, like, gro- growing up, we we went to church three times a week, and my dad was not a pastor, by the way. The character, okay. the character in the book, his father's a pastor. That was not the case in my family, but we did go to church three times a week, and it was a forty-five minute sermon every time. Wow. <laughs> Now, now, did you uh, grow up Baptist like the character in the book? I call it Baptist. Our our church was actually an independent Bible church. Okay. I say Baptist because that's the closest thing that that people can understand. Sure. That's what it was close to. But I think, uh, you know, our pastor was so independent that you couldn't you couldn't trust any denomination. It had to. We we could trust him, but we couldn't trust anyone else <laughs> to get it right. That sounds like the heart of Protestantism, right there. <laughs> yeah, he. I I remember that he went to a place. I think it was called Appalachian Bible College, and the the idea was if you if you graduated from Appalachian Bible College, you pro- you had it right, but if you didn't go there, you were a suspect. Gotcha. Oh, I totally. It's so funny because I've heard conversations recently about that and uh yeah very very interesting stuff uh well let me ask you this um and and readers or listeners i should say you should become readers and and check out this book and and uh especially if you have any sort of a background like we did growing up in the church and uh, maybe you've moved away a little bit from conservative roots and have gone to a, a, a bit different understanding of your faith in some ways. I think you're going to enjoy the dirty parts of the Bible. But a question I wanted to ask you, why did you pick 1936 as uh, as the background for the story? Because I think it makes a very interesting setting, but I just wondered kind of what, what set your heart on that for your characters. Yeah, partly, partly I've always been very nostalgic when I was young i loved the three stooges and charlie chaplin those were the kind of movies i watched and even when i got to college i my senior thesis was about hobos in american literature so i that was just a strong interest of mine was in the the depression era and then it also could be because growing up i grew up in michigan but we would visit my grandparents in texas and they had grown up in texas in the 20s and 30s and hearing their, you know, fascinating stories of how hard life was at that time, mm. that that became a big influence on me of wanting to write something, sort of in that era where my grandparents had grown up. Hmm. Well, that's very interesting, and it's and it's kind of neat because you at least have some uh, geographical knowledge of you know between Michigan and Texas, just like the right. characters in your book have, and and that makes it all the more real, I think. And right, I, I mean, we we made that trip by car ride every summer. Wow. So I think I think in the book that that trip influenced me, but I sort of envisioned a more interesting way of making that trip <laughs> rather than 
than in the back of a Volkswagen Rabbit. <laughs> so your family never, you know, jumped on and rode like a hobo on a train on the way to something no. like that. That's too bad. That uh... I know. <laughs> I was always a pretty uh, bookish kid, not very adventurous myself. So I think in the book I imagined being forced into an adventure. Yeah, no, it, it's a great adventure. Uh, let's talk about Tobias a little bit, your, your main character. I'm trying to give people a taste of the book if they haven't read it. Um, he he seems to be obsessed with a couple of things in his life, uh, both God and girls, it seems like. And, you know, as, as someone who is coming of age, uh, especially when you've been raised in the church, um, that seems to be constantly a factor. And, and you say something, this is not a direct quote from your book, you can correct me on how it's said, but it's so funny because I've had this exact conversation. It seems like um, his main goal in life is he wants to have sex before Jesus comes back um, <laughs> yeah. because he wants to, well, you know, be married and uh, because he's just praying the, the rapture will be prolonged because... <laughs> <laughs> because he, and and it's so funny because we had an evangelist uh, come maybe ten years ago to our church, and I remember him saying he was a preacher's kid too, and and he said you know that was our fear growing up was that we would we would not mature and get married and and uh, meet a woman and be able to have sex before Jesus came back, <laughs> and I thought oh it's been said again that is a very common thing that's in there yeah. so yeah and I I haven't heard of other people saying that but I think that's you know, and I was trying to just sort of honestly recall the way, the kind of thoughts that came came into my head when I was younger. That's I can definitely see other people being able to identify with that. Oh yeah, well, and I I like the I like the heart of Tobias because I I feel like he wants to do right, and I feel like he even wants to please God, even in the midst of his sort of claiming to deny God, and he's really wrestling with a lot of issues that. Um, kind of the hit between head and heart i think and uh one thing that really just stands out to me is this is this struggle that he's having because there's a really a funny scene where he you know he thinks he's going to stay in a hotel for the evening that you write about and when he gets there he just he's so tired he just wants to go to sleep and it ends up the place he's been referred to is sort of a it, well it's it's not sort of it's a, a house of ill repute where the, where the the room that he's sent to there's a prostitute waiting in there for him when he gets there and he's so shocked and taken back by what's going on there and one might think with with a title uh, you know of the book like this that that was this guy's only goal is he just wants to be with any girl any girl he can get to as fast as he can but that's uh -huh. actually not the case because Tobias he is moral and he and he has been wanting to meet someone and fall in love and he wants to get married and he, he wants it to be in the right context in that book and mm -hmm. I think that's something that's so um so sweet about the character uh, of Tobias that's going on because I I remember I mean as in my own life that's kind of you've just described you know me or a lot of adolescents I said that wrong um, adolescents that have grown up in the church and we're kind of thinking like we want to do the right thing but yet at the same time there is this pull to be fully human that goes on there so um, I don't yeah know, I, just... I think that aspect's definitely drawn from my own psychology I can I can definitely see and that that what you're describing you know between the being a human wanting to have sex but then also wanting it to be genuine love you yes. know it, it definitely it causes a lot of frustrations oh yeah <laughs> but, but it's a it's an ongoing struggle for sure well and it's it really is sort of that example of you know what I what I've heard and thought for some time now uh, was 
was there are so many things that are so good in life and yet in the wrong context they can be very ruinous as well and sort of like the the definition of sin really is sort of like a good thing used incorrectly and um and so i i like that struggle that that is in your main character in the book because it seems like throughout the book even even when he's uh using foul language and and sort of cursing the heavens you know and and not wanting to believe in god at the same time there's there's a sense that God won't let him go either, and I, I love that because I I think that describes so many of us. I, that's the human story, I believe. You know, we we want to get away from this God, and we want to get away from all the things that embarrassed us as kids, and yet at the same time, God loves us too much to let us go, and um, and He's not afraid of our questions and fears. And I love the I love the questioning aspect of uh, of your main character in the book, and he meets up with this guy. Um, named Craw, as as we come to find out in the book. Um, by the way, I wanted to ask you: Have you ever heard of a band called uh, Daniel Die and the Miller Road Band before? No. They they're a local group around here, but they're getting out a little more around the country, and they have they have a song called Hard Cider, and uh, it's one of my wife and I's favorite song. And every time when I read the passage in the book about the the minister um, getting drunk on hard cider, <laughs> not not realizing that it was hard cider, uh, it cracks me up. And I think of that song. I'll have to send you a link so you can hear that. But <laughs> anyway, um, moving on from from uh, that part of the book, we we come in contact at some point with the character named Craw who really teaches him how to to hop on trains and be a hobo and sort of learn that lifestyle but he also teaches him uh, a lot about faith too as well and and it's interesting how in life um often the way that we come back to god seems to be through the least likely of characters and i think crawl kind of typifies that but is there anybody in your life that for you sort of um you identify as sort of a crawl in your life this this character just a little bit at what at at the time i was writing the book one one person who was who a little bit helped inspire that character was a an eastern orthodox priest that i had known who who could be surprisingly ribald <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know his, his humor and and such was surprised you know you you think of a priest as someone who would be very uh uptight and such sure. but but he was not and uh and that was that was one influence. Other than that, I think uh, I sort of invented the mentor I wanted to have, mm-hmm. you know, a, a mentor I hadn't had. I think my my imagination sort of created, and even even some of the lines I felt felt that the lines were sort of coming to me as things that were being spoken to myself. You know, advice that I could use, yeah, as well, and as advice that the character could use. Well, and at some point in the book, Crawl gives him such good advice, and I, I think it's some of the best advice that I I even could give to anyone as someone who works in a, in a church context part-time, and I'm, it seems like I'm always having these discussions, no matter who I'm with, you know, whether it's David Morrell last week who, you know, doesn't really make a profession of faith, but we, but the faith aspects still come up, and often it's, it's hang-ups with the Bible and the way we've been taught. And, and I, I think it's very interesting. If, if you don't mind, there's a section of the book that I just think is so good. And, and if you don't mind, I'd like to read it. Um, sure. It, and and um, 
And now I, I should let listeners know we don't we don't usually have bad language on the podcast. <laughs> so um, I'm going to read it as is, and just just trust me, it fits the character, and and so um, I I don't want anybody's you know ears to be uh, hurt or whatever. <laughs> but at the same time, we're adults, hopefully listening to this, so get over it. Um, it's it's it really it really does fit the context and the characters of this story, as you just heard described about this priest. So the scene that I want to set up here. Um, Crawl and Tobias, they're they're working out on the farm and they're digging posts, uh, or digging post holes actually, and putting uh, posts in the ground. And they're they're in Texas at this point. And Crawl has sort of been a, a mentor to Tobias in the story. And as we often do, we don't really want to share our deepest parts of ourselves with somebody unless we think they're going to agree with us. And it's sort of like this is a person that Tobias has felt safe enough with to finally reveal his doubts about the Bible and his doubts about God and things like that with. And he expects maybe one answer, but he gets something completely different. So uh, this is what I'm going to read out of this passage just to give a little context behind that. Um, Tobias is saying, I threw down my post hole digger and I walked over to where he, meaning Craw, was sitting. I'd been waiting for an opportunity like this to voice my doubts with someone who wouldn't judge me. I stammered around for a while, then dumped the whole load. The confused creation accounts, Cain's wife, the flaming sword, the angels raping women, the dinosaurs getting left off the ark. By the end, I was shouting like my father on a Sunday morning, Can you believe it? How can anyone believe this stuff? I closed my case and waited for Craw to agree that it was all a farce. But he only smiled and he shook his head. You're going about it all wrong, my boy. You read Genesis like a textbook. It isn't science or history. It's a myth. You mean it's a lie, I said. Not at all. But a myth is a made-up story, a fairy tale, a lie. Crawl laughed. <laughs> That's the problem with you, Baptists. We both read the Bible day and night, but you read black where I read white. Just because the story didn't actually happen, he continued, you think it's a lie. But myths and fairy tales aren't lies, they're deeper truths. My father doesn't believe in stories, I said. He said we should only believe in the facts, and to him the Bible is a book of facts. Doesn't believe in stories? The Bible isn't a damn book of facts. It's a collection of stories, and Jesus wasn't a scientist or a mathematician. He was a storyteller. Crawl threw up his hands. Why, all of life is a story. But if it's just a story, I said. If all that stuff in Genesis didn't actually happen, how the hell can you say it's true? Oft times, Crawl said, a truth is so big, so far beyond our understanding, that the only way we can grasp it is through a story. The creation of the whole universe is like that. How can our puny brains contain it? So it's a lie, but it's a deeper truth. My brain can't even contain what you're saying. Hell, Crawl said, you don't believe Genesis is true to life. Show me a man and a woman in love, and I'll show you Adam and Eve. Give them a few weeks and you'll have a fall from grace. A few years after that, Cain and Abel will be running around the house in diapers trying to kill each other. It's the plain stuff of life. I began to see what he was getting at. So anyway, that, that a little bit of a lengthy passage, but man, it's so well written, Sam. I mean, what a what a great passage in that book. I I I highlighted it in my Kindle. I've made a copy of it as a photo so I can go back and reference it again <laughs> and again. Um, it, it really means a lot to me, and I've I've had that conversation with so many people who their faith 
gets shaken when they try to look at it like a like the Bible, like it's a science book or a math book or whatever. I think it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever read written when you said the truth is so big, so far beyond our understanding, maybe the only way we can grasp it is through a story. And uh, I just think that's wonderful. So well done, sir. I, I, it feels like I can't even take credit for it. <laughs> it's not, not something I came up with, but yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, but uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, uh, it's an honor to, to have played a part in, in creating something that affected you in that way. Sure. Well, and I, I hope it'll be something that's, that's helpful for a lot of people. I can't help but think that that's why the book has taken off in some ways. Um, and I, I obviously don't know like sales numbers or anything or what it's done since it's been on Amazon. Um, but I, I obviously found it somewhere. I wasn't looking for it and it popped up and said, you might like this. And I did. And, um, and I, I think that's one of the big hangups that a lot of us have, especially with maybe the sort of church you grew up with and the sort of background that we've had. Um, we've, we've learned to look at faith um in in maybe a non Christian way and then I, I want to say that because we look at it almost in a non Jewish way because the Jews would have a different um understanding of the way to to approach the holy books and and a lot of times for for many sects of the Jewish faith, you know, the scripture is something to be discussed, it's something to be debated, it's something to mull over, it's something that uh, we can have disagreements on and come to different conclusions, but that's part of the journey together. And yet, I think maybe a lot of the faith that, that maybe we grew up to know, um, sometimes on accident, sometimes on purpose, was a very fact-driven thing. Like, it has to be a science book, it has to be a math book, you don't question it. Um, if you do question it, you're not right with God. So, um, it's, is that part of your journey something that, that, you've, you know, that you're putting in the book? Is that sort of an autobiographical part of your journey? Yeah, and definitely, and that's a very ongoing ongoing journey you know even after i finished writing the book but certainly i know coming out coming out of high school going into college i had that very historical fact-based view of the bible and and everything i had been taught and then you know it doesn't take much knowledge to begin to see a lot of contradictions even even like a like a like i cover in the book even reading the first two chapters of genesis if you just objectively sit down and read that you'll see conflicts yeah. <laughs> arising in the first two chapters so so it didn't take take much to challenge that literal factual view sure. that that I had grown up with and then then sort of went into a conflict sort of angst filled period of okay what is you know if if this can't be trusted then then is can nothing be trusted is mm. you know is is life meaningless and pur- and purposeful is there no purpose and so it's, you know, it's sort of a lifelong, lifelong journey of, of coming to, coming to see life as a story, finding meaning and purpose, but without, without certainty. You know, I think we can't be, I think that the, at the heart of everything is mystery. And we, we want things to be certain. We want to know things for sure. But that's, that's just not, not what, not the way life is. Well, and I, have you found in, in your journey that, the questions have become a lot more important than the answers have because the questions tend to lead you further. That's a that's an interesting statement. I I can't think of an answer to that off the top of my head, but that's a very interesting hmm. way to put it. Hmm. 
I've, I've, and I, I ask it of some people sometimes because I think that for me that's often been the case. Um, I, I always find it very interesting that even in Scripture, um, it, it doesn't seem like, if we're going to look at the Gospels specifically, it doesn't seem like Jesus is always very interested in answers, but he's always asking questions. And it's sort of, uh, you know, as you pointed out through your character, Crawl, that, that Jesus is is a storyteller. He's constantly telling stories, and he's constantly trying to get us to think. And uh, and I have wondered if, if the questions aren't more important than the answers at times, you know, or or if there's certain answers that are important, but but the questions are what's going to get us there, you know, <laughs> where yeah, we need to be at. That's interesting. I think, and I think also just being honest about our thoughts and struggles. I think, I think a lot of energy is put into pretending that we have it all figured out. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. But uh, but on that on that theme of stories and questions, it might apply that I know we had chatted a little by email about some some things I had previously written before writing this sure. novel, Dirty Parts of the Bible. I had written a, a lot of opinion, sort of opinion pieces, articles, and then some short books about theology, and and I was very firm and sure of my opinions at that time. And, you know, over time my opinions have changed. But with with the novel, the important thing was the story, and I know I'm, I'm embarrassed by a lot of my past opinion writing. Hmm. But with dirty parts of the Bible, I'm, I'm glad you know it's not something I'm embarrassed of now. I think, and I think it's because it's a story, yeah. And maybe because it's about the questions without, without proposing any firm, clear answers. Hmm. Very interesting. And and we can get you know as into or or not into as much as you want to kind of talk about your own journey. But um, I I told you the other day I was reading a book on. Um, I believe it was a book on the creeds and councils that I was reading, actually, and it was a very interesting book, and I was just kind of brushing up on some things, and uh, and they made reference to a book uh, that I think it was uh, Theology of the Body by Pope John Paul II, and uh, there was a a, uh, a a book like an edition of that, I believe, that you had edited or, or had written yeah. part of for, and your name yeah. came up just to, to, <laughs> totally in a footnote. I could have missed it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I wrote to you in the email. I said, "Is this you too?" Like I didn't know you did that. And so you immediately said, "Yeah, that's me." I, I wish it hadn't been though, because I'm, you know, <laughs> I've, I've got such a different view now about things. Um, and it sounds like you're a person who's who's been through a lot and been through a long journey. And and uh, and while you are, uh, you know, a father, you're you're also um, have been through as I have. You've been through a divorce and uh, been through some very painful things um, in your own life i'm sure and i don't know if there's there's any part of your kind of background and your story that's brought you to where you are now that you want to share with us is just i i think people find the backstory interesting and i think it humanizes us and allows us on our own journey but i'll totally leave that up to you whatever you would like to share about <laughs> right there's a, lot, there's a lot there i'll say uh i'll say on the the book that i had edited about about john paul ii's writings about sexuality that it shows that, you know, when I was in my 20s, I was certainly obsessed with both God and girls, God and sex, trying to understand <laughs> that whole conundrum, much like the character in the book. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I think I've just sort of mellowed out on those things. I don't, uh, I don't obsess over it these days. But, but yeah, actually, after finishing the novel, Dirty Parts of the Bible, about a year, year or two after finishing that, I went through divorce. Hmm. And that, 
and you know, hearing that you've gone to it, through it as well, you might identify that's sort of a sort of like a breaking up of the story of my life. Hmm. You know, I think I think I always felt before that that my life had a consistent story that made sense to me. Hmm. So then, then with this huge break, since then it's been sort of figuring out, you know, a new story. Yeah. So that's that's been the ongoing the ongoing journey since then. And and it's for me anyway. It sort of transformed me into a different person in a lot of ways because I I think before I went through mine, I probably would have identified a lot more with um, more than I would like to admit. Probably with Tobias's father, you know, which very much like you have all the answers and um, mm. everything has got to look a certain way. And I think afterwards, um, you know, God has used that experience and the pain and mm. the brokenness and then the healing. And, um, I, I think for me that God has used it to make me a much more open and compassionate person, um, to people. And, you know, and I have, I have friends now that, you know, it's part of the story for me is, uh, when friends are going through it, it's uh, God has blessed me to get to journey with some of them and their time of need, you know, in those moments. And um, I, I don't know. It's really unless you've been through it, it's hard to describe, isn't it? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, that's I think that's true for me as well. What you're saying about uh, I was I think I was a bit of a know it all <laughs> before, you know, even I think that the Tobias's father in the book, I think that was part of my psyche as well and i've i've read that that when when an author writes a book kind of all the characters are actually different parts of hmm. of the author's psyche so wow. i think uh i think the the malachi was definitely part of you know part of me as well but it makes me wonder what part of your psyche the the man-eating catfish is but you know, other <laughs> than... <laughs> but anyway well it's 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 interesting to hear you talk because i i love I love the story you portray in your novel, but um, I, I love when I get to hear, you know, like the, the human side of things and the journeys that we take together. And um, the the unfortunate thing um, for me, and I don't I don't talk about it much anymore, but the unfortunate thing is that there are are so many broken families, you know, that we come in contact with in our world today. And mm-hmm. I, I think the church at one time was was extremely judgmental. Um, I actually had an experience myself where my church, because I, I was a pastor on staff at my church when all this happened, mm-hmm. and um, and maybe it's a unique thing. I, wa- I want to say I, I hope it's not, but it probably was a fairly unique thing um, that my church, the church board, my pastor, everybody just kind of came around me and loved me so well during that time when I was so broken and um, you know I'm I'm still working at that church part-time it's been almost 15 years that I've been affiliated with it and um, I, I think that maybe is a unique story but I feel like it's it's one of the good stories I get to tell when God's people really I think reflect the father's heart for his children when we're in brokenness um, so for me that the church is thankfully uh, been a part of the healing as well in that process that that's gone through but mm. it, anyway I, I don't really need to talk about me i really do want to talk about you <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm interested to, you know i'm interested to hear learn yeah. your story as well but that's we had we had also talked a little about about music and that's sure. something that that's something that's only come into my life recently where that i found very healing is 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 working on singing and and playing music 
Well, you know what? It, and I, I know I don't have the, the final cut or the master, but I'm going to edit in um, at some point during this podcast um, at least a little snippet of the song that you sent me. Um, you've, you yeah. have a great voice, and uh, it's very unique. And I, I think you told me you're working on sort of an album of like Sinatra covers and things uh, yes. of that nature. And the song you sent me is not a Sinatra song. It's actually one you wrote, but it has very much like a, a Frank Sinatra feel to it. And just sort of that big band. Well, not I don't know if I'd say big band, but sort of the, definitely this crooner like jazz feel to it. And yeah. uh, and it sounds great. So congratulations Thanks. on that. Thanks. Yeah, that means a lot coming from a musician like you. So. Well, now, are you a, do you uh, play music yourself too, or are you more of a lyricist, or what? What's your uh, what's your musical background? Just singing mainly. I okay. When I when I was a teenager, I I really started getting into Frank Sinatra hmm. quite a bit. About I'd say about age sixteen, I think. My theory is whatever music really hits you when you're going through puberty, that's mm. what gets stuck into your soul for life. <laughs> and, <laughs> and for me, when I had my my first big crush back in high school, I started listening to Sinatra, and I thought, this is it. You know, this is the sort of stuff I'm feeling. It uh, his Sinatra's voice and the the lyrics of those of those classic songs were really what sort of gave the gave voice to my heart, and I could identify with that. Well, that's great. Now, how did it come about that you would do a, an album of, of Sinatra covers? Because you have a producer, and you said he's a perfectionist. And from what I can tell <laughs> yeah. from, from the one track you sent me that's an original, it's like, it sounds, I mean, it's it's great. And that kind of music is very difficult to play and even yeah. difficult to yeah. sing. So tell, tell me a little about what brought you to doing that with him. Yeah, well... I guess going back to starting singing, so I had listened, I would listened to music and sung along my whole life, but had never really tried to sing up until about four years ago. And part of it was a matter of you know getting a microphone, being able to record myself, so I could hear. Okay, I'm, I could, I could recognize how far out of tune I was, <laughs> and begin to work on that, and uh, got some uh, some video voice lessons, and just found it very relaxing, and it's it's soothing and charges me up. I found to work on that, and then I thought, well, where is a where's the audience that I could sing to? And I thought, you know, it's the senior citizens mm-hmm. in the in the uh, you know senior centers and apartments, apartment complexes where they live. So I've called up a few of those around Nashville and started started going out and singing a Sinatra tribute. You know, every every couple months, I'll I'll go out and sing for these groups, and that's it's great to be able to entertain other people and uh bring some joy into their lives with the memories of songs you know that they yeah. loved when they were younger well that's great and that's such so. a that's such a cool like audience too i've done a few uh not, not a ton but every now and then you know it seems like a couple times a year i'll play it like a, a retirement facility or something like that and yeah um i mean they they appreciate the music in a different way yeah and uh, and i would have to say that they probably really appreciate you because that is the music of their youth you had just talked about how sinatra spoke to you but i mean that was that was pop music of their day you know yeah. so that's got to be re- rewarding in a whole other way than than like writing and uh and the other endeavors that you're a part of yeah yeah it's and it's not it's nice to be able to connect with people you know when you're writing a book or an article you're not there when people react to it yeah it's a uh, 
it, but whereas with singing, you get immediate feedback, and I think that's what makes it so great. <laughs> and sometimes that's good feedback on my. <laughs> Some sometimes I don't want the feedback that comes, but uh, <laughs> right. anyway. But then I, and as far as making the album, I had met uh, Greg Beak is the name of the producer. I'd met him through a sort of a charity concert that that dealt with impersonations of they had impersonations of you know, Elvis, Neil Diamond, all different people, and I did a Sinatra impersonation for this concert a couple of years ago so that's how i got connected with greg and he's he's worked with he's a hall and oats current producer wow he's worked with a lot of great people and but because of that personal connection when i i actually i moved moved across town earlier this year and by selling my house it freed up some money mm-hmm. and i thought well what's a what's a dream project that i can put this toward instead of just putting it in the bank or something Sure. And I thought recording that album would be really satisfying. Yeah. So, we, so it's it's just been yeah, incredible. And def- definitely since, other than writing the novel, it's the most satisfying project I've ever been a part of. And maybe, you know, maybe even more so because other people are involved. It's great to, great to be in a room with musicians and have that camaraderie. That is one of the best things about music. I, I'm in the middle of a project, too, and uh, this is actually the first album... Um, that I've really not played on myself. You know, we're using all musicians there in Nashville, so I, I'm there back and forth all the time. But th- this is the first time that like I've ever been able to just kind of let other people play my stuff and be like, wow, that's that's a neat like <laughs> interpretation of that. So um, and it is that communal experience that you're describing. It's so neat when it's out of your hands a little bit too, and you get to do something together and create together. And yeah. uh, I think it's a it's a great way to kind of look at how life is supposed to be <laughs> on some level. <laughs> There's a whole lot of metaphors you can make with music um, uh, about us as human beings. But um, yeah, well, I'll be it, looking forward. Do you do you have a title for your your new album when it comes out yet? It it'll probably be uh, someone to watch over me, which is oh. one of, one of my favorite songs written by George and Ira Gershwin. Nice. That's, I think t- titling it that will alert people to the type of music it's going to be. Sure thing. Well, and I think but, uh, you're. It, and I hope it'll be. I hope it'll be available in about a month. That's, that's great. Well, well, please let me know, and I'll make sure we put it up on the website and stuff. Uh, so, uh, you know, but, YouTube. YouTube people can people can keep track of me on uh, YouTube, Sam Tarot, or. I do have a samtarot.com but haven't haven't really put that together yet. Well, and I know are you are you still doing book designs as well? Yes, I, yep, I still do a freelance book design. And I believe that one is uh was tarotdesign.com t o r o d e design.com and and I I told you the other day said another strange experience was I was looking through some of your freelance work and I saw you had done the cover for a book on Tolkien, um J.R.R. Tolkien, who a lot of my listeners will are big fans and it was the book Sanctifying Myth by Bradley Berzer and I was looking at the cover like that's one of my favorite books i have that in my office like wow. <laughs> so wow. very cool how our paths have intersected and i haven't even realized it over the years so very good stuff uh, but you're you do a great job with uh 
with your designs on those books too. I'm just I've been looking through your website and um, so you're a very talented guy. I feel very like blessed to have you on the show and just to get to share because I feel like there's so many things I could talk to you about and you're good at all of them it seems like. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I think I think listening to you, you and I have a lot in common in that we're both. We don't want to do just one thing. Yeah. I think uh, for me, I get bored if I stick with one area too long. It's yeah, it's it kind of kind of feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? Very cool. good to express yourself in different areas to have a chance to recharge. Well, where can uh, is there anything that we haven't hit upon today that you want our listeners to know? You've you've mentioned I'm, I've tried to mention some of your websites and things. I know you can go on Amazon and look up some books that you've written there. Uh, is there anything else that you want us to call attention to that you have in the works right now? I think that's it. All right. Well. Sam, it has been a pleasure, and we've actually gone over our time a little bit from what I discussed, but I want to thank you for being gracious and and uh, sticking with it. I do want to encourage all of you out there. I know a lot of you are readers. If you want a unique book, uh, Sam Tarode's book, The Dirty Parts of the Bible, I think you're going to enjoy it. Um, it may give you uh, some things to talk about with other people. You, it, I, Who knows? It may make you happy. It may make you sad. It may make you angry. I don't know what it will be, <laughs> but it's, it's definitely a, a great story and i think it's something uh the, the characters definitely have their own journey and their own paths in the book and even though they aren't real characters in real life it feels very real and it feels very genuine and so uh so thanks for writing that we will be looking forward to someone to watch over me the new album that hopefully will be coming out uh very soon and uh if you need a, a book cover design you know who to go to <laughs> so well thank you so much sam for being one of the voices in my head this week thanks rick you've been listening to voices in my head the official podcast of rick lee james if you'd like to know more about me my ministry my music my life go to my website at rickleejames.com and i'd love this to be a community experience so if you call 937-505-0162 you can leave feedback you can give me suggestions for future shows. You can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.